Have you seen the meme that depicts a ladle of soup being poured into a bowl held by outstretched arms? The picture is accompanied by the words, Jesus doesn't care how many Bible verses you have memorized. He cares about how you treat people. It's been popular on social media this week, and I can't tell if that's because we're getting close to Thanksgiving or because all of my socially conscious Episcopalian friends want to wave this Sunday's gospel lesson in the face of their more scripturally conscious counterparts from other traditions. Well, today I want to start this sermon by saying something controversial, which I hope that I will have cleared up by the time I'm finished. While it's true that Jesus does not care how many Bible verses you have memorized, it's also true that he doesn't care how you treat people. What do I mean by that? Today's gospel lesson isn't about caring for the poor, the sick, the stranger, and the imprisoned. It's about judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. In this passage, Jesus isn't evaluating candidates for the, for the Rotary Four-Way Test Award. And he's not evaluating people for consideration for the Nobel Peace Prize. Jesus, the Son of Man, is sitting in ultimate judgment of all the nations. And he's separating them one from another as easily as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. We can't rightly understand what he's trying to tell us about how we're supposed to treat one another until we hear what he's telling us about judgment. For two long chapters of Matthew's gospel account, Jesus has been on a tear about judgment. One day soon, he declares, everything will change. The Jerusalem temple will be destroyed. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give out its light. Suffering will befall all people, including God's beloved children. The day of judgment is coming, and it's coming when no one expects it, like a thief in the night, like a bridegroom who arrives at midnight, like a master who returns and demands an accounting of his servants. Back in Jesus' day, when it came to judgment, everyone wanted to know the same thing we still want to know today. When? When will God finally come and set all things right? When will God fix all that is wrong in our lives? When will God separate the righteous from the wicked, the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares? And today's gospel lesson is Jesus' answer to that persistent question, and that answer catches everyone by surprise. Now, as Jesus begins this description of judgment, at first, 
everything sounds exactly the way we would expect it to. The Son of Man is to be seated on his throne, surrounded by angels. He is to gather all the nations and separate them once and for all. So far, that sounds right. What else would we expect from God's ultimate judgment than a clear and decisive vindication for God's people and a rejection of God's enemies? But when Jesus begins to describe the criteria for that judgment, everything the world has always expected gets turned on its head. Jesus explains that those who are gathered at his right hand will be the ones who gave him food when he was hungry and drink when he was thirsty. They were the ones who welcomed him when he was a stranger and clothed him when he was naked. They were the ones who took care of him when he was sick and visited him when he was in prison. But even the righteous are surprised to hear what the king is saying to them after learning that they are to be welcomed into God's eternal habitations, they respond in utter disbelief. When was it that we saw you in need and helped you, they ask. And Jesus delivers to them the crucial teaching of this passage, a teaching for us as well. Just as you did it to the least of the members of my family, you did it to me. The surprising truth of God's judgment is that God's ultimate ordering of the universe manifests itself not in broad strokes that divide humanity along national, ethnic, or other macroscopic lines, but according to the microscopic minutiae of everyday life. For all of salvation history, God's people had understood that one day God would come and separate them from all their enemies. But now, Jesus was inviting them to see that when God does set the world in its ultimate order, the distinction between those who are found at God's right and God's left is easiest to see when we examine how it is that people have lived each and every day. The way that we care for others or ignore the needs of those around us is, in fact, the clearest indication of whether we belong to God. But don't mistake the sign for the thing that the sign is pointing to. Jesus doesn't simply reward those who gave food to the hungry and drink to those who thirst, who welcomed the stranger and clothed the naked, who ministered to the sick and visited the imprisoned. Jesus welcomes to his right hand those who did those things to him, those who cared for Jesus, their Lord and Savior, by caring for the members of his family. How they cared for those in need is a sign, an indication of a deeper identity, of their fundamental belonging to God. And it is that identity, that allegiance, that belonging that distinguishes those at the right hand from those at the left. Neither the righteous nor the unrighteous 
recognized the significance of what they were doing or neglecting to do. But Jesus, the Son of Man, recognized it within them. If the point of this passage was that only those who care for the needy will receive a heavenly reward, every one of us would be in serious trouble. Sure, we're mostly kind and generous, and at times even selfless. But what about that one time when we decide not to give $20 to the panhandler on the street? What about that extra jacket that is hanging in our closet? What about the sick and imprisoned whom we've never even thought about visiting? What if one of them is Jesus? What happens if we fail him when it matters most? Thanks be to God that God's judgment doesn't work like that. The question for us is not how many poor and needy individuals we will help in this lifetime, nor is it how many Bible verses we have memorized. The question is whether we will give ourselves over completely to the one who does care for the poor and needy, who rescues the lost and the broken, who embraces the outcast and the unloved. The question for us is whether we will belong to God and thus allow the way of Jesus to transform our lives. You cannot get to heaven by feeding or clothing or otherwise taking care of those in need. You get there by belonging to God in Jesus Christ. But you cannot belong to God in Jesus without feeding and clothing and caring for those in need. Those are the indispensable characteristics of the divine life. Those are the clearest descriptions of what a life that belongs to God looks like. When the Son of Man comes and sits upon his throne in judgment, he will not ask you what Bible verses you have committed to memory, nor will he ask you how many times you've cared for those in need. He won't need to ask. Those are not the criteria for God's judgment. They are instead the fruit of the lives of the people who belong to God. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.